All right, well, welcome to podcast number three of Fresh Bread. Fresh Bread, where we bring God's truth to a starving world. So today, the Beatles sang a song way back in the day, way before you were born, Pastor Brandon. The Beatles wrote a song called Love is All You Need. We also have What's Love Got to Do With It. Love, love, love seems to be everywhere. So today, we're going to look at love and is love limitless. So let's dive in. Pastor Brandon, start it off right off the bat. Is love limitless? Well, I think you'd have to say no. I mean, there has to be a limit to love in the sense of that it's, it's going to be limited by the truth. You know, it says in John 1 that the Word became flesh and, and he was uh, full of grace and, and truth. In John 1.14, Keith, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so there's really, there's this, I like to say, tension between, you know, grace on one side and truth on the other side. And, you know, you don't want to fall into the ditch on either side, so to speak. If I'm overemphasize love, then saying love is limitless, that I don't, that nothing limits my love. Well, truth limits my love because anything outside of the truth is not real love, not true love. So, yes, my answer is that it's, that it is, there is a limit to it. How do we work that through? God is love. So God loves us. We're told to love. So is that not being divisive if you put a boundary on it, like with truth? Yeah, I I mean, Keith, I think we have to admit that it is being divisive. I mean, we are divisive when we, I mean, you know, it is going to divide. When I speak of the the truth, the problem is, is that anything outside of who God is, outside of the character of God, can't be of God. I mean, so if if you're saying God is love, which I obviously agree with that because it's biblical, anything that is antithetical to him, anything that's antithetical to his character or goes against his character can't be true love. It can't, hmm. it, it, it just, it's a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. So are you saying it's okay when, you know, you've heard the expression, uh, love unites, doctrine divides. Is it good that doctrine divides? Well, yes, it is a good thing that right doctrine divides. It allows us to see who God is. I mean, if you think about it, do- right doctrine would be would be in line with the character of God, the character of who God is. So if God is love and his character and who God is is reflected in our right doctrine, then it is loving for us to teach right doctrine, which is going to divide in a fallen world because there's so much untruth out there. I mean, there's so much untruth, not just in the world, but also in the church. And so if it's untrue, then it's not loving. Because if it's untrue, it's not, again, it, it isn't the, the character of God. It is that untruth is not part of God's character. Therefore, if something is untrue, then it has to be unloving. So that, are you saying that's kind of that limit that you're talking about, right? Yes. So do you believe that the modern church has sort of made an idol out of love? Because when you look at what's happening in the, like you talk about the modern church, you've got all these issues, female pastors, homosexuality. They're all coming into the church because people are saying to love everyone and this is, the way God has made people, or if this is a gift that God has given a woman, we need to be accepting of that. Could we say that, that it's becoming an idol? It's gone over the limit? Sure. I mean, I, I think that if you're allowing things that God wouldn't allow, and you're trying to say that that is because of love, because we're trying to be, using another word, we're trying to be inclusive, mm-hmm. you know, this inclusive language so that God would never say no to a woman pastor. So why would God gift women a certain way and then limit them in terms of their responsibility or in terms 
terms of the office that they can hold. But I, again, that's what we're missing there is, is that God has created the world with an order, you know, and he created man and woman with order. So he created man to be the head of the woman and Christ to be the head of the church, man to be the head of the woman. And so, you know, that's God's order. That's the way he's ordained things to be. And we can't, anything that goes outside of that really is against, again, against his character, his holy character that, you know, he, God is holy and we have to understand he's a God of order and he's put the world together. He's made the world in a certain way. And anything that goes against that is anti-God. So you wouldn't agree with the statement I've heard people make, love is really freedom from all boundaries. No, not at all. That's kind of where, where people believe that love takes you beyond boundaries because love conquers all. Love is above all. Love is the main thing. No, I mean, I think that, you know, it's it's interesting that Jesus said the law and the the law is summed up by the two greatest commandments. The two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But I mean, again, you can't miss that he tied that those two statements with the commandments. And so the commandments, which, you know, thou shalt not put any gods before me, that, you know, the commandments that he gave, thou shalt not worship idols, the commandments that he gave are the embodiment of love. And, and I would say because the commandments reflect God's character and God's character, if God is love and the commandments reflect his character, then following and obeying him is the most loving thing that we can do. And therefore, by definition, the law is creating boundaries, then love has to have boundaries. Okay, so, but God is love. Yes. That's one of his attributes. Yes. So if people were to say God doesn't care really what we do because he looks at the heart, and if he knows we love him, isn't that enough? No, because basically you're tearing out most of the Bible when you say that. I mean, because again, God's love is reflected in his commandments. Commandments are meant for our good. I think we think that the commandments are limiting, but they're not limited. They're meant for our good and for his glory. And so they reflect his holy character, but ultimately we find freedom to obey him in Christ. And so there's nothing more loving than being obedient to a God who is love. So here's the big next big question. When you go to these churches that maybe aren't grounded in truth, but yet people are saying, I feel, I feel God's love here. Is there counterfeit love? Can Satan manifest a counterfeit love that people would feel in mistake? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that that's the case. I think, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, we have to, again, you know, we talked about this one of the podcasts previous, but 1 Corinthians is a corrective letter. And mm-hmm. you know, Paul is correcting the church at Corinth. And he says in chapter 13, verse 3, he says this, If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. He even says in verse 2, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I mean, so... You know, it's interesting because that, you know, some people would say, well, that's that whole, I mean, there isn't any boundaries to love. Love is the most important thing. And I agree that love is the most important thing because it's brought up so much. And again, Jesus said it sums up the law and the prophets. But what's happening here, though, you ask if there's a counterfeit love. Yes, there's a counterfeit love. There is a love that says that I can have the gift of prophecy and that I can have know all mysteries and all knowledge and I can have all faith so as to remove mountains and not have love. I mean, that's that ultimately that's a counterfeit. 
And so, you know, if I can show my quote-unquote love, that's really what I'm getting at, by giving all my possessions to feed the poor. I mean, that is a, you know, the world would say, oh, that's loving to give my possessions to feed the poor. But Paul says here that it profits me nothing if I if I don't have true love. If it's not born out of true love, you know, for God and who God is and true love for my neighbor. So absolutely, that I can have a love that's counterfeit, that's not a true love, that, that, isn't, that isn't from God. First John 3.18 says, John says, little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And so if you think about that, then there is a way to love in word. I say I love you, or I say I love, you know, I have a love for my neighbor. I have a love for God. So I say that, speak it, or I proclaim it. But if John is saying, let us not just love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth, meaning, again, that goes back to even love without boundaries, right? I mean, he's saying here, I'm not to love with just my word. I'm not to love with just my tongue. I'm to love in what I do. I'm to love in how I conduct myself. Well, how am I to conduct myself. I'm to conduct myself by the truth. And how do I know the truth? Well, I know the truth because I I study the Word of God because the Word of God is what informs me of the truth and what helps me understand the truth. There's, there is a boundary to our love. I mean, the boundary has to be, you know, the truth and who, what the Word of God says. And interpreting the Word of God in the right way is obviously a critical piece of that. So love is not love detached from truth. It has to be included in truth well again you know it's interesting if you go to exodus 34 6 this actually is going to be dotted throughout scripture but are we going to see this we see this similar word phrase and you know throughout scripture but i think in 34 6 is the first time we see uh, just to set the stage you know it says in verse one now yahweh said to moses carve out for yourselves two stone tablets like the former ones and i will write down on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered and so basically it's, if you will, the Lord reiterating the law or reiterating the Ten Commandments to, to Moses. And so Moses, he did what he was told. He, he carved out two stone tablets like the former ones. It says that in verse 4. And he rose up early in the morning and went up on the Mount Sinai as Yahweh had commanded him. And he took the, the two stone tablets in his hand. Then Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood there with him, and he called upon the name of Yahweh. Then Yahweh passed in front of him and called out, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And so we see there clearly that God is, there's this idea of loving kindness, this hesed love, and that I would take that to be a love that's that's grace. There's a there's a grace that God gives, but that grace is it goes together with truth. I mean, so, I mean, he's abounding in both. He's abounding in loving kindness and he's abounding in truth. And then he goes on to say in verse seven, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. So God is a forgiving God. I mean, so when we do transgress his law, it's not as if he's going to just, the hatchet's going to fall and he just, there's no opportunity. So, I mean, God being holy, you think about it, if God is, God being holy, I mean, he would be well within his rights to judge us, right? Right at the, with the first sin. But he doesn't do that because he's full of grace. That doesn't change the fact that he's full of truth as well, that he's abounding in both, that he's abounding in loving kindness and truth. So he is a God who forgives iniquity. He is a God who forgives transgression. He's a God who forgives sin. Yet, this is again in verse 7, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So, I mean, he will judge sin. 
He will judge those who transgress his truth. He will judge those who commit trespasses. I mean, if there is this, there's this understanding that God is a God of grace, but I can't divorce that from the truth. And any time that that, and we already saw John 1.14, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And again, what, you know, that's John, I think, signaling, showing that the same Yahweh that we see in Exodus 34 is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the word become flesh. He's the one who Moses is talking to here on the mountain in Exodus 34. He's the one who gave the law in it to Moses and to Israel. The same Lord Jesus Christ who is full of loving kindness and truth, who is full of grace and truth, according to John. And so, again, we can't miss the fact, we can't miss that the Lord Jesus is full of grace and truth and therefore both hold each other in balance, if you want to get down to it. A little bit of an example, analogy here, a biblical analogy here. In Revelation 2, you have the church at Ephesus and Jesus said, I know your deeds and your toils and perseverance and that you cannot bear with those who are evil and to the test, those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. Well, Again, what is the opposite of being false? It's the truth. And so basically they found these men who are calling themselves to be apostles and are calling them out. They're saying, you're not true, you're false. You don't reflect the glory of God. You don't reflect the character of God and who God is. Therefore, uh, we're calling you out. And it says in you, you know, verse 3, and you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and you've also not grown weary, but I have this against you. Well, what do you have against us, Lord? that you've left your first love. So again, you can't have love without the truth, but you can't have the truth without love. You have to have both. And they hold each other in balance, ultimately because of who God is, because ultimately the truth, true truth, you know, the truth, the biblical truth, points to God's holy character. And anything that antithetical, anything that goes against that, Anything that is that impugns on that, if you will, is not love. It can't be love. It can't be. Why do I say that homosexuality is a sin? Because God says it is. Because God created a man and he created the woman and he created them to have a relationship. And that's the order that he created things in. And therefore, I can't say that that is okay because it's sinful. And it's not true that it's okay. Therefore, it's unloving if I say that that's okay. It's unloving. I mean, God has said in the church that only men should be pastors. Well, there's an order there. That the order that God created man and then he created woman. And he created man to be the head of woman. And therefore, anything that goes against that order is is not loving. It's not loving to say that it's okay. It's not loving to have a woman pastor in the church because it's God's order. Everything that we do in the church should reflect God's holy character. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Does that mean God loves everybody in the same way? No. If we go to John 3.16, what love is that? When we look at the Greek, there are many different ways to define love. When we look at John 3.16, what, what form of love is that? That's agapao. If you wanted a definition of agapao, I mean, it, it really, it's a love that involves more faithfulness, commitment. It's, uh, it's really, if you think about uh, the act, an act of the will, 
it is uh, can be distinguished really by its moral nature and, and its character, the strong character. It's not just this romantic type love, not even a friendship type love. It's a love that, that really transcends those things. It's, it's really described well in 1 Corinthians 13, but you were going to ask a question. Could it almost be described as God loved his creation? You're talking about in John, in John John three sixteen. John three sixteen. I think that I think that when he's speaking of that, I don't think he's speaking of individuals in the sense of each individual. I think he's talking about that he loves the world that he created. Okay. And I think that that's I think there's a transcendency there that he's speaking of and that, that Christ came to redeem the world, of which his elect is part of, right? I mean, so you and I, if we are a part of the elect, he there is a love for us because we're part of that. But you know, what he's speaking of there specifically is I, I believe that he loves this world, that he loves the world to be created. And that makes sense. So that would be a misinterpretation of where probably one of the verses where people get the idea that God loves everyone. Well I think I think what we have to understand is is that, you know, God demonstrates his love in that he wants this world to be to reflect his character. I mean he wants his world to reflect his holy character. And so it's not loving it, you know that it's not loving with God's love for the world to be in a fallen state. It's interesting because you know you have Adam and Eve, and they were they were chased out of the garden or driven out of the garden. Well, why were they driven out of the garden? Lest that they mm-hmm. would eat from the tree of life and live forever in that position. I mean, that would have been unloving for God to let them stay in that sinful, fallen situation. And so God chose to drive them out of the garden so that he could put his plan or so that his plan could be put in place of bringing a redeemer, his own son. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, he put that into place because he didn't want them to stay in that position. Therefore, you know, the question of whether or not he loves, he's going to love some and love love others. Well, I mean, ultimately he places his special love on some that he chooses and it's not because of anything that they've done it's not because of works that they've done it's because he's chosen to love them i don't know that we can say though that that god loves everyone psalm 5 says in verse 4 for you are not a god who delights in wickedness evil does not sojourn with you the boastful shall not stand before your eyes you hate all workers of iniquity you destroy those who speak falsehood. Yahweh abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. So I don't think we could rightly say that God loves the man who continues in sin, the man who doesn't repent and turn to him. In the Old Testament, we have a flood where God wipes out mankind. So if he loved mankind, like you said, there is a limit to God to love because he, he banished Adam and Eve from the garden, like you said. I mean, it would be unloving to leave us yeah. in our sin. That I mean, that is the that that would be the very definition of unloving. Which brings us to the greatest form of love, which is Him sending His Son to give up His life for us. That's the ultimate love, is it not? Well, it is the ultimate love, and it's interesting. We we didn't finish the discussion in you know of what agapao is, but I think it's I think First Corinthians thirteen. It really gives a definition of what it is. He, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not puffed up, it does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in, unri- in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. 
And we see there, again, mm. that, that moral nature of love, the strong moral character of love. But it doesn't. It, love, true love can't rejoice in unrighteousness. And, you know, the question is, then, what defines unrighteousness? And, and we know the Lord Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And so the source of truth, the source of understanding of what truth is, has to be the word of God. And therefore, again, rightly interpreted, rightly understood. And therefore, you know, we, we know that it, we can't rejoice in unrighteousness, but we have to rejoice. And we know that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. But the understanding there that, that when it says bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things, doesn't mean that we bear with sin. We choose to believe the best. We choose to bear with someone even when they sin against us. That's that's what we're talking about here, not overlook sin. Not that I overlook sin in the sense of not calling it sin, but I overlook times when I'm sinned against and I'm bare with someone and I do my best to believe the best of them and I do my best to hope in them even when I have to endure the sinful tendencies of evil men. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. As we wrap this up, as we come back around... To our first question, is love limitless? Yes, it is. I think if you, I think you nailed it when you read First Corinthians thirteen verse six. Uh, love it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. And again, we're trying to we're bringing the truth of what God's word says that that as we look at the world today, love has become this overwhelming unifying thing in the church that that just overtaking everything, doctrine overtaking truth. It's just look, let's all unite under God, and let's love each other. Yeah, I mean, I think the rallying cry seems to be, let's ignore doctrine, let's ignore the truth of the word. Doctrine divides, therefore we need to ignore it, that we don't need it. Uh, it need, all we need is love, you know, the, the song, all we need is love. But that, is, that isn't true, and I don't think we see that in Scripture. I think that, I mean, clearly what we see in Scripture is, again, this love and truth going hand in hand. That I, They complement one another, if you will. You can't have love without the truth, but the truth without love is would un, unloving. And so it would be, well, you know, Christ warned the church at Ephesus that you've lost your first love. And, and he even goes on to say, which I didn't, read that earlier, but he goes on to say that I'm going to remove your lampstand. I mean, so it's a it's a serious issue for any church to have just doctrine and no love, but it's a, just as big an issue as, you know, on the other side of having love with, without the truth. So yes, I mean, I think that we have to be very careful, and it's not a situation where we can lock hands with, with just anyone in the name of love. Because I mean, Keith, ultimately what we have to recognize is is that it's unloving to not speak the truth. It would be unloving to tell, you know, the man and the woman, oh, you don't love each other. You don't have that romantic love anymore, and therefore it's okay if you, you know, separate and you get a divorce. That actually would be unloving because that, again, love, this agapao type of love is, is a love that loves the truth. It's a love that, that adheres to the truth. It's, it, there's a strong moral quality to this type of love that transcends any feeling that I might have. And so, yeah, I may not have the same feeling that I had for my wife the day that we got married. When I saw her come down the aisle, I may not have that same feeling anymore. I may have been lost. Although, I will say, if I've lost that, I should do what I can do to recultivate it because I have a love for my wife. Because I have an agapao type love, then I should work to rekindle that emotional love that that's there in the beginning. 
because I do love my wife in, in that way. So, but it would be unloving to say, yeah, just because you've fallen, quote unquote, fallen out of love, that now you don't have to be together. Now you don't have to be devoted to one another. Uh, it would be just as unloving to say, well, we would, a man and a man can be together, uh, because that's again against the truth. The truth of the Word of God says that that's a sin, you know, that man being with a man or a woman being with a woman, homosexuality, is a sin. It's unloving. It would be unloving for a man and a man to be together and adopt a child. That's unloving, because it's man and a woman are to come together and to have children and to bear children together and, and raise them. And and, you know, God has made the man in a certain way and he's made the woman in a certain way. And together they complement one another. They, there's a there's a complementing that goes on there. The, you know, the man and the woman are, are there's an incompleteness about them without the other. Mm-hmm. And so therefore being together, raising children is the best, God's best for them. And so it'd be unloving to, for it to do anything differently. It'd be unloving to say that, you know, our, our teenage kids are, it's okay to have sex and, you know, outside of the context of marriage to get to know someone, to make sure they want to be with them. It's not. It would be unloving to say you can live with someone outside of the context of marriage to get to know them, like the world would mm. say. Those things are unloving, I mean, because they go against the truth. There's a reason why God has ordered things the way he has ordered them, and it's according to his holy character. And I think what we have to understand is, is that love is rooted in God's holy character, and that the truth then is rooted in God's holy character. And together they inform us such that we can live according to the truth and we can truly understand what love is that's a great way to end this i'm i'm going to end it by this we can ask tina turner what's love got to do with it truth right Mm. it's got to be in truth and also the beatles love is all you need is that true or false that's false love is all you need but it has to be grounded in truth it has to be grounded in truth keith because truth informs us of god's holy character and outside of god's holy character we're lost I mean, again, we would be, it would be unloving for God to leave us in this condition. Uh, he didn't leave us in this condition. He sent his only son so that he, we might be redeemed, so that we might be able to be and dwell with him. And that will be the ultimate understanding, the ultimate display of love will be when we dwell with him in truth. Yeah, we serve a, a wonderful, great, loving God who has given instruction on and on what these mean instead of just throwing out love l-o-v-e to just anything i love this ice cream i love this cheeseburger i love my wife mm. there, there's different ways of looking at it i do love cheese i do too you want to go get one let's go get one all right all right you've been listening to fresh bread podcast of grace bible church gainesville where we serve god's truth to a starving world and we want to thank you for listening we love you